You don't build businesses, you build people and people build the business. We saw the white space in the market where we could create a premium product, premium fabrication. I need something, I need some energy, I need some stress relief, I need focus from brain fog. I'm Richard Gerhardt. And I'm Elizabeth Gerhardt. You just heard some snippets from our show. It was a great one, so stay tuned for the rest. Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. I'm Richard Gearhart, an intellectual property attorney specializing in patents, trademarks, and copyrights. And I'm Elizabeth Gearhart, not an attorney, but I work at Gearhart Law and I do the marketing and I have my own startup. So welcome again to Passage to Profit, the road to entrepreneurship. And we have a really fascinating guest, Michelle Seiler Tucker. She's the founder of Seiler Tucker Inc. and Exit Rich. We're looking forward to hearing from her her because who doesn't want to exit rich? And then we have two presenters. Our first presenter, Andrew Cotaspati, has Good Life Clothing. Really awesome clothes. I mean, they sell in Nordstrom, so need I say more? <laughs> and uh, he'll be talking about those. And then Conrad Oberbeck with Hangobi, who doesn't need more hydration in their lives? He's got some excellent products for that. I'm feeling especially unhydrated right now. So. Especially since it's summer. It's hot. <laughs> it's hot in the studio. Yes. Yeah, so stay you made tuned. that point. Absolutely. But before we get to our distinguished guests, it's time for IP in the news. And who are we putting on the rack? Well, this is very interesting. It's a trademark infringement case. Ah, my favorite. Yeah. And Amazon has an algorithm that looks for copycats and trademark infringement and takes people off if they can find out. And this Chinese company managed to design around that. You mean they don't have like a thousand people in the background there just checking everything? They use. Well, I don't know. Maybe they do, but <laughs> I kind of doubt it. All right. No, Jeff Bezos looks at every single <laughs> one himself. Right? <laughs> no, so Cartier got ripped off by this company and they used their logo on their jewelry products and were selling them as Cartier on Amazon. And Amazon couldn't catch it with their algorithm. They got really mad. So Amazon and Cartier teamed up to sue this Chinese company for trademark infringement, among other things. Yeah, what's really interesting about the case, though, is that Amazon usually doesn't get involved in disputes. Usually they just leave it to the brand holder to pursue the copycatters or alleged infringers on their own. Right. But Amazon, because their algorithm doesn't work, I guess they feel like they have to join in this case against the counterfeiters. And what's kind of interesting especially if you're an attorney, a legal geek like me, is that most courts have held that the companies like Amazon or eBay are not liable for infringement. So you can't sue Amazon because somebody is selling an infringing product on Amazon. They're not a party to the case. But if Amazon gets involved in this, I wonder if that rule will change with the courts and maybe they would become a party in an infringement suit. Well, I know Amazon is pretty diligent about people's trademarks. Amazon is very open about their policy. They really, at least publicly say they want to keep the infringers off. We'll see what happens. It's an interesting case. Just another piece of doing business with Amazon. Well, and I think the important thing is it's a Chinese company, but it's because they're doing business in the US, right? Right. So if you wanted to go after somebody in China, you'd have to have a trademark in China. Your trademark only protects you for what's happening in the United States and not overseas, unless you have an overseas trademark. And I have to credit the author of this article was Abraham J. 
do it. Thank you, Abraham. And it's time for Richard's Roundtable. So we're going to go to our distinguished collection of guests, and we're going to ask them for their opinions and thoughts. First up is Michelle Seiler-Tucker. What do you think about all this infringing stuff? Well, I think it's time that something dramatic is done because this has been happening for decades. And I think it's good that Amazon's getting involved. And, And I think there should be a law established that these platforms can't sell counterfeits. You know, like I said, this has been going on for decades. So I think it's a good stance. I think it's good that Amazon's involved. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, the earlier cases that said that they weren't responsible were when these businesses were first starting out, but they're really facilitating copycats. And that hurts American businesses, or I should say at least legitimate businesses, right? Yeah, and of course, it's not just Amazon. I mean, I get public Facebook ads all the time with counterfeit products and they're everywhere. So I do think that there should be a new law established because let me tell you, you know, proprietary is everything when you're selling a business. It is a number one value driver. So we really got to establish those laws, especially in the United States, to protect everyone's proprietary assets because that is your business. I mean, really without proprietary, your business is not worth that much. It is a number one value driver. Proprietary can take you from a three multiple to five to an eight to a 10. Right. It'd be interesting to expand on that point a little bit later in the show. So Andrew? It's interesting how this comes to the foreground. Counterfeits on Amazon seems to me like it's been a, a rampant problem for quite some time that's kind of been buried. People shop at Target and Walmart. They expect that the products they buy and the labels on those products are in fact manufactured by those companies. And for some reason, Amazon just hasn't been held to this test. I mean, I've purchased things that were clearly counterfeits from Amazon in the past, random products that they didn't quite work right. They know about this. This has been allowed. They can stand behind that, you know, they're simply a platform. And I'm sure in the legal jargon, when you sign up for your prime account or what have you, I'm sure that somehow they're legally covered, but unless governments really step in and compel them to do whatever they can to prevent these bad actors, they're going to continue to do whatever they need to do to be profitable. Right. And they've become so sophisticated that even Amazon's sophisticated algorithms can't detect them. And that's why Amazon is having to get involved in that. It does rob legitimate businesses of their brand or their proprietary stuff. And I'd like to know how much Amazon knows and doesn't know. Yes, there's quite a bit of sophistication, especially coming out of China when it comes to counterfeits and technology. Frankly, probably a lot of it's even state-sponsored. But Amazon also, I'm sure, has turned a blind eye quite a few times to keep the commerce flowing. The consumer doesn't necessarily understand that buying something on Amazon and being a Prime member and getting all their shopping needs done is not the same as making a purchase, say, at a Walmart or a Target. Yeah, I mean, this is a really good point. I'm glad we're having this discussion because I guess for a long time, you really did get the sense that we were tolerating this and we were letting Amazon off the hook and letting consumers kind of decide what they really wanted, whether they wanted the brand or the off brand or whatever. But when it implicates legally registered copyrights and trademarks and patents, people who have taken the steps to protect their brand and their ideas, I do think that Amazon should be held accountable for that. It looks like they're stepping up though. I mean, and they are doing a trademark. So con Yeah, why don't we move on to Conrad? Yeah, I think Amazon, kind of going back a little bit, was the pioneer to bring that larger department store online. And kind of with the moves that the department stores have made, Amazon almost had carte blanche to just take on every product and not really worry about, as we've been discussing, the quality of the brand and and almost giving the consumer 
the option to buy Chanel brand if it you know wasn't the quality. I think they felt like they could manage the problem and they wanted the extra revenue from the knockoffs. I mean, I can't say that for sure, but you know, I'm just speculating. But I mean, it's been around for a long time and I know Amazon has tried to deal with it, but it continues. The trademark system is a powerful tool for stopping other people from destroying your brand. And I think that this just goes to show you can use the trademark system and then it gets publicized and then people find out about it. Absolutely. Well, anyway, very interesting discussion. I guess the takeaway from this is get all the IP that you can, because you never know when you're going to have to do battle with counterfeiter or Amazon. And maybe this case will signify some sort of turn for Amazon and maybe they will start taking some responsibility. Who knows? But um, so now it's time for Michelle. I'm excited to talk to her because I have a startup, as you know, that I do want to sell someday. So that's right. And you also want to exit rich, don't you? And I do want to exit rich. So I really want to pick her brain. All right. Well, let's get started then. Welcome to the show, Michelle. You're a merger and acquisition expert. I don't think we've had a merger and acquisition expert before. And it does seem to me like it's a very stratospheric type of thing. I think when ordinary people hear of mergers and acquisitions, they think of big companies and big deals. And is that the case? I mean, how does this relate to, for example, an entrepreneur? So I've been in this business a little over 22 years, sold hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of businesses. I started out selling your pizzerias, your coffee shops, your flower stores, and then graduate per se and selling multi-million dollar businesses. Now our focus is, is $10 million and up. Mergers and acquisitions experts really focus on the larger type businesses, manufacturing, distribution, healthcare, SaaS businesses, e-commerce. Etc. There's a lot more that goes in to mergers and acquisitions, selling companies, merging companies. We really specialize in buying, selling, fixing, growing companies, not just selling. Um, we also specialize in partnering with business owners, investing my money, <laughs> resources, core competencies to really put them on what we call the both the exit rich program, so we can build their businesses up for their desired price tag. But there's so many more moving parts when you're selling a fifty million dollar business versus uh, uh, half a million So since our audiences are mostly entrepreneurs, what things have you learned that would apply to smaller businesses, entrepreneurial businesses, if somebody was thinking about a merger or preparing their business to be sold? Sure. So the principles are really the same. Whether you have a, a, a small restaurant versus a multi-million dollar corporation, the principles are really the same. I mean, obviously what got you there won't get you here. What got you here won't get you there. But in my book, Exit Rich, it just came out and the audio version was just released in May, endorsed by Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes says 80% of the businesses, and that's all businesses, small and big, 80% will not sell. So that means you have less than a 20% chance of success. That's a pretty scary statistic for business owners that are trying to sell their business and exit rich. 80% of businesses are exiting poor. They're selling for pennies on the dollar, closing their business, or even worse, following bankruptcy. Why is that? So the biggest reason for that, Richard and Elizabeth, is because business owners don't think about selling their business. They go into business, you know, to create financial freedom, to have a better quality of life. But guess what? Most business owners have created themselves a glorified job that they go to work at every day versus a business that actually works for them. And they don't think about selling until a catastrophic event occurs, whether that's internal or external. Internal is health issues, partner disputes, divorce death, unfortunately. I just had a lady call me from Dallas. Husband dropped dead of a heart attack at the age of 40. Left her with a mountain of debt. Wants me to sell his business. Guess what he has? He has a construction business with no employees, subcontractors only, 
None of the six P's in place, which is processes is my third P. And when he died, the business died. So business owners really have to start thinking and planning their exit from day one of starting or buying their business. And most business owners never plan for the exit till they wake up one day and say, boom, I got to sell my business. And Michelle, by the way, I think my business is worth $20 million. And <laughs> which is already before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization is maybe a hundred grand. Business owners don't base the value on what the business is actually worth. They base it on what they need to retire on. Buyers don't care about what you need. They care about what the value of your business is. So there's always this huge evaluation gap. So the number one thing, Richard, and Elizabeth, that business owners need to do is follow the GST GPS exit model, GPS exit model that we talk about in my book, Exit Rich. Michelle Seiler Tucker, she's the founder of Seiler Tucker Inc. and Exit Rich. More passage to profit right after this. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearHeartLaw.com. At GearHeart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at GearHeart Law. www.GearHeartLaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G. E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W dot com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Our special guest, Michelle Seiler Tucker, Exit Rich. She is teaching us how to prepare our companies to sell for a lot of money when we're ready to sell them. <laughs> so she has a book called Exit Rich. And I have a question for Michelle. So I have a startup. I started this with the idea that I was going to sell it and I'm trying to do everything right. It's still early stages, but what are some of the things I need to do at the very beginning so that I can sell this for a lot of money in a few years? It's a good question because again, nobody goes into business planning their exit, which everybody should, and that will prevent the 80% of businesses that don't sell. So we left off with the GPS exit. Let's start there. So when you go into business, start a business, buy a business, everyone should start with the end in mind. Like Stephen Covey says, start with the end in mind. So you want to go into business and figure out what is your desired sales price. Think about your GPS. When you want to drive somewhere, Elizabeth, what do you do? You pull out your phone, you go to Google Maps, and what do you plug in? 
the address you want to go to. The destination. If you don't plug in the destination, where do you end up at? <laughs> <laughs> Probably just sitting in your driveway wondering why you're not going anywhere. So you're out of the driveway. You're going to end up lost. You're going to drive around. This is what happens to business owners. They don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. Business owners end up driving up and down the financial hills, around circles, ending up exiting poor, not rich. So number one, you want to figure out what's your destination. When I partner with business owners, I work with my business owners and I say, listen, we're going to build this business to sell for 15, 20, 30, whatever our destination is. I will not partner with a company unless we agree on that destination. So you need to pick a number. Let's say you want to sell for $10 million. What's the next step in the GPS exit model? What does the GPS need to know next? Where you're starting from? What is your current location? Have you ever been downtown New York City? And you're trying to get somewhere and it can't pick up, you can't, it doesn't have a pinpoint to pick up your address. Well, in business, it needs to know where are you starting from? What is your current evaluation? What is your business worth today? One of the biggest mistakes that business owners make is they never get a business evaluation. We're working with a company that's been in business 60 years, not one valuation in 60 years. You need to have a valuation checkup, like you have a physical checkup to make sure your heart's still ticking and you're still kicking. You need to make <laughs> sure that you have that annual valuation checkup. You must get this done by an MA expert, not by a CPA. I love my CPAs. My co-author of Exit Rich is a CPA, but only MA experts need know how to identify, evaluate those proprietary assets. So you need an, an annual valuation checkup. Why do you need it annually? Because there are events that increase valuation, there are events that decrease valuation. This pandemic is a perfect example of that. So you need a valuation checkup. Let's say you want to sell for 10 million, you're worth a million. The next step is time frame. When do you want to sell for 10 million? Let's say you want to do this in five years. So 10 million, you're worth a million, five years. It's a step-by-step -step blueprint. The next equation, who are your buyers going to be, Elizabeth? There are five types of buyers, and most owners don't know that. 95% of all buyers are first-time buyers. Most sellers will come to me and say, hey, Michelle, I have the buyer. I just need you to represent me with this one buyer. My answer is always no. And the reason for that is because the likelihood of that one buyer buying your business is slim to none. And how can I maximize value on the sale of your company and create a bidding war with a party of one? We want multiple buyers. That's how you get the highest price on your business. First-time buyers are 95%. They don't buy $10 million companies. They buy small businesses under a million dollars. Then you have turnaround specialists that buy distressed assets. Private equity groups buy based on platforms and add-ons. If you're trying to get into food manufacturing, you won't even consider your business unless you have at least three to $7 million in EBITDA, which I'm going to say it, Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. If they already have a platform in food manufacturing, then they will consider your food manufacturing business if it's under a million dollars in EBITDA. The fourth type of buyer are strategic slash competitors. They are typically the best buyer because they will pay the highest multiple because they're buying synergies. It's not just about the cash flow. It's not just about the EBITDA. It's also about all of those proprietary assets, those proprietary synergies. Then the last type of buyer is sophisticated entrepreneurs. These are storm chasers. They're in the street agnostic. They chase cash flow. Mm -hmm. Once you figure it out, the last three buyers will probably be 
my buyer, then you have to look at your numbers and say, well, if I want to sell for 10 million, where's my gross revenues, my operating expenses, COGS, EBITDA need to land. Well, EBITDA needs to be around 1.5 to 2 million if you're trying to sell for 10 million, okay? Depending again upon your proprietary assets. Then you need to ask yourself, what are all these synergies? What's the criteria that these buyers are going to pay top dollar for? So the EBITDA is sort of like your gross your, revenues. Your, almost. Your, no, oh. it's more your profit, sort of. It's earnings <laughs> before interest and taxes, right? So earnings before interest, taxes, and depreciation. Because okay. if you have a manufacturing plant, you got, you know, we're selling a fifty-five million dollar company right now that's got about five million dollars in depreciation every year. So for smaller businesses, they're not going to have as much depreciation. But it is your earnings before the interest that you pay, before the taxes that you pay, before the depreciation. Because what are we trying to get to? And it's actually not just EBITDA, it's adjusted EBITDA. Because we're going to normalize the financials and we're going to add back personal expenses, non-refund expenses, things of that nature. So it's really strip everything out. What does the business make? So once you get to the EBITDA, I mean, there's different ways to look at profit and that's certainly the standard way to do it. But once you've kind of figure out in layman's terms, what the profit is, then your assumption is that you can get between three and five times that if you sell your business. Yes and no. So let me give you a quick crash course. <laughs> so a quick crash course. If you're a small business, you know, under a couple million dollars, they're really looking at net income versus looking at EBITDA. It's typically businesses, you know, three, four, five, ten million and up where we're looking at EBITDA. And so usually anything under a million dollars in EBITDA will typically trade for anywhere between one and a half to three, maybe three and a half, not five, depending upon those synergies depending upon the energy, depending upon the proprietary assets. When I talk about proprietary assets, I'm talking about trademarks, patents, branding, name recognition, contracts. I'm talking about databases, you know, celebrity endorsements, all kinds of things to build proprietary synergies. And so if the business is over a million dollars in EBITDA, this is the sweet spot. Elizabeth, this is where we're going to get your business to. <laughs> okay, yeah. Over a million dollars in EBITDA, that's when it starts going four, four and a half, five and up. Right. So I have some ideas for it, but they're kind of proprietary right now. <laughs> Speaking of proprietary, and I did actually file a provisional patent application on various aspects of my business. Who did that? I drafted the application myself. What are you talking yeah, about? Of course. And Gerhard Law did trademark for me. So I do have intellectual property, which I think after going to some investor presentations, intellectual property does factor in for a number of different people. Well, it is the highest value driver. It could take you from a five to seven to eight. We're still in an app company right now and we're getting a really high multiple. It's been on the business market for a month. We got another company we're selling. It's got, gosh, 2,000 clients, has trademarks, patents, and everything else. We're probably going to get them a 10 to 11 multiple. So I can't stress this enough. Your proprietary assets, which is one of our six Bs, is the number one value driver. Also, I wanted to clarify one thing. This is industry standards. We look at markets, comps, there's six different valuation methods that we look at. I'm just giving you a crash course. If you're a SaaS company, you're not going to trade at a multiple of EBITDA. You're going to trade at a multiple of revenues. Okay, so SaaS is software as a service. Correct. So what's an example of a SaaS company for people who wouldn't know? Well, right now we're selling, um, well, there's lots of SaaS companies. Gosh, who has the best example of a SaaS company? <laughs> I'm trying to think, you know. <laughs> there's lots of SaaS companies that, that are software specific. That's what they are. It's just all software driven. And they're always a multiple 
of revenue, never a multiple of EBITDA. The app company that we're selling is somewhat of a SaaS company. We're also selling a real estate coaching SaaS company as well. That's got a huge software platform and almost everything we do has a software component. I always encourage all of my business owners to try to build some type of proprietary SaaS component into your company because that's huge. That will sell for a lot more money if you have that SaaS component as part of your company and it will give you a much higher, higher, higher multiple. Amazon has a SaaS component. I mean, a lot of businesses, big businesses have SaaS components. And then it'll help you grow your company. If you have that SaaS, it'll help you grow your company. <laughs> if you're sassy. <laughs> you focus on buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. So yeah. that's a piece of the growth. What else do you tell entrepreneurs to do to grow their businesses to get to the point where they can sell it. So back to that GPS exit, just to finish that one last step is once you figure out where your numbers need to be, you need to really figure out what's the synergies that you need to create. And those synergies are going to be based in the infrastructure. So what happens is startups, when they start a business or buy a business, they're so excited about the business, but they're not really building that solid foundation. It's kind of like when you go to build a house. If you don't get the right contractor in place, you're going to have one strong income buy and blow your house away. Same thing with the business. You need the infrastructure. And most businesses don't have the infrastructure. That's why they're not sustainable. That's why they won't scale. And that's why they won't sell. So let's just go over the six P's really quickly. And that will answer your question. The number one reason and the biggest mistake the business owners make is that businesses are not sellable because you are the business. All of you right now, look at your business and ask yourself, can you take off for a week? Can you take off for a month? Can you take off for six months? What will happen to your business if you do? And most businesses are not sellable for 100% because the business is 1,000% dependent upon that owner. Let me give you an example. I already gave you the example about the wife whose husband died. Here's another example. Dentist. Been in practice for 50 years, one dentist, three dental hygienists. The three dental hygienists are his daughters. <laughs> oh my gosh. He asked me if I could sell the business. Of course, because we're that good, but we're not going to be able to maximize value because if he leaves, the daughters leave, there is no business. So I told him, you're going to have earn out, you, your deal is going to be structured with earn outs, seller financing, clawbacks all kinds of things. And they're going to require you and your daughters to stay on for two to three years. He said, well, honey, we're not staying. I said, well, honey, you're not selling them. And so you don't build businesses. You build people and people build a business. And the number one ingredient into building a sustainable, scalable, sellable business is people. That's the first piece. You got to focus on your strengths, hire your weaknesses. Most entrepreneurs are control freaks and they're like, well, if I want it done right, I've got to do it myself. I know a lot of attorneys this way. <laughs> and so you will never grow unless you let go of the control. You have to have the right people in the right seats. And you have to ask the who question. Who handles legal? Who handles accounting? Who handles quality control, customer service? Who handles marketing? Who opens the door? Who handles distribution, manufacturing? The list goes on and on and on. The clue here, Richard and Elizabeth, and everyone on this panel is you should not be the who. Right. You should work on your business, not in it. Most business owners are working in your business. We're selling a $55 million company right now. Two partners, related. They both work in the business. Nobody's working on the business. Big problem. We're selling 80% of the business because the business will never run without them. And they have 350 employees. And they're still working in the business. So we really have to make this huge mind shift. I work on it, not in it. 
Make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, we're just trying to get to that point with Gerhard <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> you got to start somewhere, Elizabeth, and you might not be able to go out and floor people, right? But guess what you can do? I'm between five colleges. We have over 300 applications for interns. We're on a wait list right now or someone on call. We already filled up our summer position for portfolio interns. You can get interns. You can hire 1099s. You can go to ePiper. You can go to Elance. There's so many things you can do to right. get people in your organization. But when I grow businesses, fix businesses, we start with the people. Then the next thing we do is we look at your product. That's the second key. Is your product, your industry on the way up or on the way out? You know, Andrew's in clothing. Clothing is always going to be around, right? right? We have to be clothed. I mean, Conrad's in the hydrating business. We got to be hydrated. If we're not hydrated, we die. So you got to look at your industry and ask yourself, do you have an Amazon and you're in your prime? Because that's when you sell. You sell when you're in your prime. And each product has an exclusive trademark, mm-hmm. federal trademark. Then you also want to look at contracts. But guess what? 98% of all sales are asset sales, not stock sales. Nope. Most business owners don't have the transferability clause in their contracts. So if it's an asset sale and it's not transferable, guess what? You have to go back to all your clients, all your customers, all those retail stores you have, Andrew, and you're going to have to ask them to sign a consent to transfer. Then you just let the cat out of the bag and told your customers you're selling your business. And if the deal doesn't come to fruition, you could be in big trouble. Also, databases, Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. WhatsApp was hemorrhaging money, but they had a billion users. Celebrity endorsements, content, hold your proprietary assets in a separate corporation. I'm telling you right now, proprietary assets. I sold a business that had a contract with BP, and the buyer wanted that because they had similar products and couldn't get in the door for BP. They paid 65% more, 165% more than what the company appraised for. So this is your number one value driver. If you don't do anything else, do this. And then patrons, most businesses follow 80-20 rule where 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your clients. You lose a couple of clients, you're in big trouble. You almost have a business. The last one is profits. Lack of profits is not your problem. It is a symptom of not having the right people in place, not having the right processes, being in the dying industry, not a thriving industry, not protecting proprietary assets. If you're operating on all five cylinders, you can't help to be profitable. That's great. Wow, I agree 100%. This has really been very educational for me. I've learned a tremendous amount and I really appreciate getting the value of your experience. Michelle Seiler Tucker, founder of Seiler Tucker Inc., author of Exit Rich. We've got a lot more Passage to Profit coming up and we'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, Contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. 
Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We just heard an amazing discussion from Michelle Seiler Tucker, author of Exit Rich. And if you missed it, you can hear it on our podcast tomorrow. And you can find it on the Passage to Profit Show podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love now to go to our next segment, Power Move, Kenya. Yeah. So Power Move, we're going to talk about Naomi Osaka. She's launching a media company in partnership with LeBron James and Maverick Carter's Spring Hill Company. And shortly after she launched Evolve, which is her own sports agency, she's launching Hana Kuma. And Hana Kuma is going to be a media platform that focuses on culturally relevant stories. So she's just going back to her Japanese roots. And her goal there is to produce stories that are culturally specific, but universal to all audiences, playful and bold, in its approach to tackle important issues of society. And I just kind of wanted to end with her quote and her goal here. She just basically was saying there has been an explosion of creators of color finally being equipped with resources and a huge platform, according to a press release from Afrotech. And in the streaming age, content has been a more global perspective. You can see this in the popularity of television from Asia, Europe, and Latin America, that the unique can also be universal. So her story is a testament to that as well. And she's so excited that she is building Hanakuma. So Power Move goes to her today. Wow. That's awesome. You know, Netflix is putting on a lot more movies from other countries with subtitles. I don't know if you guys watched those or noticed it, but we saw one from Ukraine the other night. I don't it, remember the movie, but I remember it was from Ukraine. Yeah, um, it was really interesting because you see what the other countries look like. I find that fascinating looking at other cultures and countries, but it's always the same stuff everybody's dealing with no matter where in the world they are. Well, right? is, there are common themes to those stories. That's for sure. So thank you, Kenya. What's up for Fireside? We've been talking about guarding your proprietary information and your intellectual property. So last September, I drafted a provisional patent application for Fireside for some components of it and the overall idea. And since it's provisional, there's a way that you can make the claim, which is what the patent office looks at, broad enough so that it could still be good if you make changes further down the line. So since it's provisional, I can make changes to the application. And of course, since I've been working on this, I've gotten a number of changes that I'm going to have to put in before we file the utility application. So the provisional application is a placeholder. It holds the date you filed and you get a year to work on it. And then you file the utility application after a year. And that's the one the patent office examines and looks at. So you can make changes up to that year. So I have to rewrite a lot of things in this application. Then I have to hand it over to a patent attorney at Gearheart Law, who really is a lot better at writing these things than I am, and have them really make it perfect to give to the patent office in September. So that's kind of where I'm at now with Fireside. But you do have a lot of experience drafting patent applications because you're a right. patent agent. So you still were able to incorporate your skills as a professional when you I were was. drafting I, the application. I just, for those of you who don't know, um, Fireside is a video directory online and I'm doing it a different way than other directories are done, but it's a tech project. I don't really know how to do tech applications per se. So I have to hand it to somebody who's really good at tech applications. Thank you for that. Yeah. We're on I, to our first presenter. Andrew Cotaspati 
with good life clothing. He's selling it at Nordstrom's. I bought Richard a t-shirt from Nordstrom and it's pretty cool stuff. So tell us all about it. As you can see, there's a secret sauce there. It sounds like a simple product, but it's not. We're a SaaS-like apparel company. And I say that because Michelle just educated us on the type of valuations that SaaS companies get. So I'm going to try to justify that as we move along. But truthfully, we're a premium essentials business. Essentials are the wardrobe staples that everybody owns. While these products have been around for quite some time from you know, James Dean and Marlon Brando making the t-shirt famous. We saw the white space in the market where we could create a premium product, premium fabrics, premium fabrication, create extremely flattering silhouettes where we could pull up a lot of consumers in the marketplace on kind of the lower end categories, pull them up from a lot of the commercial players that sort of degraded their product, a lot of the more insipid DTC brands. And then we offer a much better price value relationship from all the sort of luxury players who are really abusing their customers. We straddle those places in the market and we've created something that's addictive and the data bears it. We have a culty following. We have incredible retention rates and repeat rates, which are akin to more of a, a CPG type company, a successful CPG company. As consumer packaged goods. So while I joked and said we're a SaaS like apparel company, we really are a kind of a CPG like apparel company in the sense that almost 80% of what we sell is core year round product that consumers keep coming back to purchase over and over again. And we slowly and judiciously grow that line. But unlike most fashion and apparel companies, we're not trying to be everybody to everyone. We're narrow and deep and singularly focused on producing a product in the categories that we produce in with a purpose. You know, when people talk about the quality of the fabric, what does that really mean? Is it just the number of washings? Is it how it feels? Is it how it holds its shape? There's tremendous differences. We're using Supima cotton or our blends are blended with primarily high-end natural fibers, and we're super cognizant of where we source our fabric. There is a lot that goes into it, but then it's also the fabrication. Not every factory is made the same. The way our products cut and sewn, and our core products cut and sewn here in the U.S. and Los Angeles, is done in a way where the fabric quality coupled with the fabrication process leads to a product that doesn't fade, doesn't shrink, doesn't lose shape, is extremely durable. You can wash over and over again, and it's not like a lot of products out there that, frankly, even in the high-end categories and products that are priced higher than us, you know, you put it in the wash five or six times and they start to pill, they start to get holes, the collars start to crumble, kind of crumble up on you. We've all kind of experienced these things. And sometimes it's a little difficult to convey and communicate to the consumer as we raise awareness. But once we get this product on people, they do keep coming back. We're sold at Nordstrom. Yeah, that's a big partner for us. We're sold at a number of premium retailers and resorts. You know, we've taken an omni-channel approach right from the beginning phase of our business, believing that validation from premium retailers can also create fantastic awareness and bring your customer acquisition costs down, which for some reason was lost in a lot of the DTC businesses and DTC investors until probably just the last couple of years. So Andrew, I do have to ask you though, did you have very good margins at Nordstrom? Because from the notes I have, it looks like you really sold to Nordstrom to get the validation of your product. And then you use social media and other channels to really push it out to the public. So was that your business model? Well, the main thing about the business model for us is creating, um, we created a category that is core year-round product that is on replenishment with our retailers. So unlike fashion businesses where, you know, they can talk about margins all day long, it becomes a little bit of a house of cards in the wholesale world. We have a product that is replenished weekly, so we don't have dilution chargebacks. And our highlighted margins are true margins that create the cash flow machine 
that's allowed us to grow and proliferate our own DTC business without really having to raise much outside capital at all. And I got a lot of education from Michelle's talk right at the top about Exit Rich. I thought it was interesting talking about building a company for that exit to put all these processes in place. I think in many ways we did that almost by accident because there's a little bit of a difference of building a company the right way that can achieve that successful exit versus along the way succumbing to temptation of what capital providers want to see at a given time. There is this interesting juxtaposition because capital gets smart over time. We're one of these businesses, one of the few that compete in our world where very little capital has been put into the business because we grew it in a super efficient way and we're incredibly cognizant of acquiring the right customers and the customers that keep coming back and returning for our product. So a lot of capital was chasing growth and growth at any cost. For instance, we talked about SaaS businesses versus manufacturing businesses that traded EBITDA multiples. Well, you had a lot of more tech-oriented investors investing in apparel businesses online because they were DTC that grew at any cost. And you know, now where are they? At some point, the rubber never meets the road. They hit a wall and they're not profitable and they don't know how to get profitable. Along the way, I sort of matriculated into the business. I kind of took on the de facto CFO role and digital and marketing and investor relations, et cetera. Excellent. Where can people find you? Let's say they don't have a Nordstrom five minutes away like I do. <laughs> Where can well, they find you? Uh, goodlifeclothing.com, of course. And, uh, you know, we probably have a store coming near you soon enough, but also sax.com will be in Dillard's. We're in a number of high-end resorts uh, across the country and a lot of specialty retailers as well. Great. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. So that was Andrew Cotaspati with Good Life Clothing. Now we're going on to our next presenter, Conrad Oberbeck with Hangobi helps you hydrate. So tell us all about it, Conrad. So Hangobi is in the functional beverage category. And what we're trying to do is really disrupt what that category is today. And, and I think, you know, as Andrew did kind of try and disrupt kind of the legacy providers, that's what we're trying to do with functional beverage. And then a quick education on, on what that actually means. It's basically a drink that has a nutritional benefit to it. So almost taking like a power bar, it's not go in the opposite direction, which is you have water, then you have kind of your flavor options, but are, are typically bad for you. This is going to give you a good flavor experience and a benefit to your body. And so the traditional providers often have one kind of vanity ingredient, as we like to call it, something just to differentiate from the kind of the sodas and soft drinks of the world. We're kind of bringing a whole different approach and, and kind of looking at six different plant-based ingredients in one can um, with kind of a very healthy profile, 50 to 60 calories, low sugar, um, all organic, so all plant-based, and then really kind of trying to establish this concept of a beverage that you can rely on. And I think what people today are kind of making spontaneous decisions about, is it a Gatorade day? Is it body armor? What am I in the mood for? And I think one thing that we recognize missed, um, you know, as an athlete, as someone that's working very hard and, and likes to socialize throughout that chaos, you don't really have a product almost like your daily multivitamin that you can take with a great experience. And so that's what we're trying to bring together and hang over, combine kind of that experience that you get from those delicious kind of enhanced waters, that soft drink category, keep it very healthy, but then combine that with what we think is the opaque world of daily supplements. And so bringing adaptogens, amino acids, antioxidants to people that don't really know what those benefits are. And our six kind of plant-based categories wrapped it into one can, all at a meaningful daily value. So something that you'll feel pretty consistently and, and are meant for you know, all the different rhythms throughout the day, whether you're fatigued, you've got brain fog, you have anxiety, 
you know, all things that come from a, an active lifestyle. And so that's kind of what we're bringing to the table. We have three different flavors, two online right now that we're selling and uh, one that's coming out in July. And the first one's focused on energy and kind of specificity being really kind of locked in on the day. Uh, the second one is focused on clarity and balance. The third one, anxiety and stress relief. So really meeting all of those different kind of need states that a, a person would have throughout the day. And that target customer is really somebody that's super active, right? So you almost don't have the time to have your daily multivitamin in the morning, whether that's kind of a gummy or a pill, and you're not sure which daily supplement to pursue. We kind of give you a diversified option at that. And each of our ingredients, you know, lion's mane, green tea extract, rhodiola rosea, all have kind of your seven benefits from having this particular ingredient. So very transparent ingredient section for our consumers. That's kind of who we're targeting. Elizabeth asked me, what's the background on Hango? It'd be a little different than you know, kind of your daily multivitamin in a can. And, and really what it stands for is the prefix is kind of hang out, something that you're going to really have at whatever point of the day that you need it. And then uh, OBI is actually our family nickname, Oberbeck being my last name. Uh, so kind of combining those two terms together. You can find us online, hangobi.com. Uh, we're also sold on Amazon and we're launching into uh, select retailers in the East Coast, our brick and mortar strategy. Congratulations. Well, I'm going to try the essential one. It says ginger, turmeric, cardamom, and ashwagandha. I think I said that right. But all of these have ingredients in them that I've read at various times are very good for you. They're food-based ingredients, but that's kind of like, how do I take those every day? Or I'm not going to like stick turmeric on my tongue, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it does look like a good way to get these in your body. Yeah. Conrad, yeah. by the way, you look and sound very healthy. So yeah. whatever you're drinking must be, must be working, right? You look hydrated. <laughs> Kenya, do you have a question? Well, I was a little bummed because I saw the calm, which I need help sleeping. It was so that on your website. So mm -hmm. bummed about that, but I saw the benefits that it has the elderberry and just all the like plant-based things that you were talking about in terms of the drink market, right? Cause it's like, there's millions and millions of different drinks. How would you say you have differentiated yourself amongst all the other competitors that are out there? Kenya, that's a terrific question. And, and one that's the most challenging with beverage, right? Why are you doing this? What is the point when there's a million other options? I think it's really born out of what I tested with people with months and months myself, just recognize that finding reliable nutrition outside of even your diet, dieting is, is hard, kind of having home cooked meals, understanding what's at a restaurant. I just realized reliable nutrition is very difficult to come by. And what I think in the beverage market today, it's more, what mood are you in? What flavor are you interested in pursuing? And it's a little whimsical where I think Hangobi and, and someone, you know, I try to do endurance events. I try to be very active found it so difficult to stay focused. I'd have brain fog frequently if I woke up early for a workout and so on. So Hangobi is really different in that we're designing a use case to be not just a, you know, you go to the store because you're thirsty or you're tired of water. We want Hangobi to be a routine-based drink. So something that people look at as that daily multivitamin with a great experience, as I talked about. So you're having, maybe it's your work week's really intense. Maybe it's Monday through Wednesday. You're having a can a day. If it's very difficult, you know, you can mix in multiple cans. We, we have a really low organic sugar profile, cane sugar. And so flavor fades away nicely. So you don't really have any kind of lasting effect from having, you know, one of our cans, really a reliable option. And in something you can have in your fridge and be like, how does it work? You look up our ingredients and they're all at meaningful daily values. You'll understand why it works. It's very straightforward. People that are just at the top of their game, working hard, don't have time to think about nutrition. This is their option. And uh, can I just say it's spelled H-A-N-G, hang, O-B-I.com. Right. All one word. Sounds good. We'll go. be back with more passes to profit 
right after this. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. Just really a very lively and educational program. I very really learned a lot. A couple of great new products to try great out. Great new products. A yeah. lot of great advice from Michelle. I thought so. I thought yeah. so too. So what's up next? So now we're going to have our group discussion. So we're going to ask the question, what TV show best yeah. describes you? And I, I'm finding you're, that a tough one. I know. you're. We're not enthusiastic about this at all. No. I, know, I brought it up a couple of weeks in a row and you kept vetoing it. But since we couldn't come up with anything else, we're going to go with this one. So Michelle? I'm going to say Shark Tank for a couple of reasons. Number one, we do help business owners, entrepreneurs get ready to go on Shark Tank because people who go on Shark Tank typically get ridiculed, criticized because they always overvalue the business, right? They always overvalue the business. Very seldom do do the sharks ever say, oh, you undervalued your company. (laughs) No investor says that. (laughs) (laughs) But they always overvalue the companies. That's why we get them ready for evaluations before they go on Shark Tank. But the reason why I say this is because business owners, entrepreneurs always think that their baby, parents think their baby is the most beautiful baby in the world. Well, business owners think their baby is the most prettiest baby and it's worth more than it always is. It's my job to tell owners your baby's not as pretty as you think it is. And it's Shark Tank's job to do that too. All right. Well, who else has a TV show that they'd like to share with us? Andrew? If I'm going to say a TV show, let's go with the A-Team. Because my greatest pleasure in this business is to attract and hire talented people that are more talented than myself, who would teach me every day. Putting that team together where you can find perfect alignment and harmony is the path to the promised land. So let's go with the A-Team. Okay. Conrad? The Office. I think uh, I watched it growing up. I think what was so great about it is I, I love kind of the, the light humor that and, and all the kind of interpersonal reactions. But when I got older, then you start working in the actual, you know, office community, you start to recognize the more sophisticated detail level work kind of deliverables that people need when people fall short. They don't really hammer it too hard, obviously being a very light show, but so many nuances that you pick up later watching The Office. So I love that. And all the characters, almost everybody's got one little personality moment of each of those characters captured in within them. So always a great show. And and I'm finding, you know, even more relevant today. And and especially as kind of a a person running a business now in that kind of manager role, it's it's funny to then look at kind of all the different perspectives. Yeah, I thought The Office office was great our daughter did too we watched watched so many episodes and then when i guess it went on streaming services we've seen all of the episodes at least three or four times which is dangerous if you're a ceo because you start to internalize that stuff and you start (laughs) acting like michael and uh, before you know it your whole team is acting like the rest of the office so kenya's next right yeah so i will have to say you're probably gonna think this is the most shallow cliche answer but there's a reason why so it's definitely the kardashians 
friends. And, <laughs> and here's why, right? They are brilliant brand builders. Yeah. You know, I mean, that mother has brand building figured out to a T. I don't have, forget how many kids she has, but each one of the girls has their own individual brand, their own product lines, their own. So it all started with that show and it's evolved into this billion dollar business for them. And they get a lot of slack for not having talent, but they're brilliant marketers. And I learned something every single time I watch that show. Their PR strategy is phenomenal. I mean, they just, it's, and it's all a science to us. It looks like, oh, just fluff, fluff right. but it really isn't. There's a method to the madness. I'm not going to go next. You need to go next. Sometimes I watch like Me TV, which has really old shows on it. And I never used to watch a show, but I watched it a few times and I think it kind of, reflects me and it was macgyver and i know they did a spoof on it mcgruber but the true macgyver like it's like it was like burn notice you're there in a situation and you have to come up with a solution you have to solve a problem and i feel like that's pretty much my whole life is like solving problem after problem after problem and he uses science to do it and i don't usually have to use science sometimes i do but i do feel like that probably <laughs> reflects my life and they what are problems just... are you solving though that's what we wanted <laughs> do you really good. want me to get into it because a lot I, of them have to do with I, you I'm, I'm game but we're running out of time <laughs> yeah. so and because we're running out of time i'm just going to go with the flintstones i just think they're funny you know and i like mm -hmm. to laugh i don't know that there's any great wisdom to be gleaned from watching the Flintstones, I guess, other than cars are better now than they used to be. Or that people have been married since Stone Age times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and having the same fights they have today. You can't get away from it. Anyway, I think it's time for our wrap up. So. Okay. So I am going to remind you of who was on the show and what their websites are. So our guest was Michelle Seiler Tucker, and you can find her at STI at 360.com. The numbers. She also has a podcast called Exit Rich. And she's an author. And, and I think if you listen to her, you will exit rich. If you well, do what, if you she, do says, what she says yeah. to do. If yeah. you say. <laughs> yes. And then we had Andrew Cottesbody with Good Life Clothing, goodlifeclothing.com. It's a premium brand, but at a really decent price and really nice clothing. And I can testify that wearing Good Life Clothing really will make your life good, much better, much more comfortable. So buy it. And then we have Conrad Oberbeck with hangobi, H-A-N-G-O-B-I.com. Wellness drinks that you can drink every day that are a little bit different, that taste good and really help your body hydrate. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, our time has come to an end and we need to sign off for this week, but we'll return to this station next week with another episode of Passage to Profit. But before we go, I'd like to thank Noah Fleischman, our producer, Alicia Morrissey, our program director, and Mark Wilson, our syndication manager. Our podcast of this show can be found tomorrow anywhere you find your podcast. So just look for the Passage to Profit show. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember, while the information you heard during this program is believed to be correct, never take a legal step without consulting with an attorney. Enjoy your journey on the road to entrepreneurship. And with that, I'm Richard Gearhart with my co-host, Elizabeth Gearhart, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Passage to Profit. Oh,